Last week, we left off with Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. This week, we'll be skipping chapter 38, as it has nothing to do with Joseph, but instead takes a break from from Joseph's story and and talks about Judah and Tamar. Now, that's a story we'll hit at, at some point, just not today and not in this series on Joseph. Today, we'll be picking up, today we'll be picking up, there we go, Uh, the tale of Joseph by reading the whole of Genesis 39. There's a lot of, just a lot to read in in this particular series, that's all right. But today we see God using Joseph, we see God with Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, we read the word of the Lord. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard my scream for help, he left me his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in there in the prison... The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
There is a sense of feeling alone when you are put into a new and different, maybe even uncomfortable situation. In 2017, my family picked up and moved from Fergus Falls, Minnesota, a Midwest city of 13,000 people spread out over 16 square miles, and we, made, uh, we had made great and lasting friendships there. And as much as it drove us crazy at times, we understood the culture there. We knew how to fit in. We knew where our favorite restaurants were, where the cheapest gas was, and which grocery store had our favorite brand and flavor of ice cream. We were comfortable. And then the Lord called us out of our comfortable space to what felt like the big city. Now, having lived here for a number of years, I know that Bergenfield is not the big city. It's actually just a suburb. But when you go from 13,000 people spread out over 16 square miles to 28,000 people over three square miles, it feels like the big city. Added to that, many of your neighbors don't look like you or talk like you do. You don't know where to get gas. You don't know what restaurants you like. You're having to relearn how to drive, and you're not sure that they even have the brand of ice cream that you like. And as much as you enjoy each and every one of those elements over the previous place, you love living in a diverse community, you enjoy the restaurants way more, and you found new brands of ice cream that you might like even more than the old ones, even though all of this is true, there is still a sense of loneliness. Because you're somewhere new. Because you're in a place that isn't comfortable yet. Because you're farther from family, because you don't know what to expect, and you're having trouble sleeping because a freight train goes rumbling by your window at 3 a.m. on the regular. Where did God bring us? What was life going to be like here? Were we going to fit in? Were people going to like us? How long would we feel alone? I'll agree that it's not really fair to compare moving here to Bergenfield with the situation that Joseph was dropped into in Egypt. He was a country bumpkin that was brought into one of the largest cities and uh, one of the largest empires in the world at that time. He went from a privileged son to a slave without rights. He had gone from a family where he had more siblings than we can count on both hands and all the family drama that brought with it into a world where his family thought him dead and he was totally alone. He had no idea what the culture was like in Egypt. He couldn't do any research beforehand. Couldn't Google it, right? He was just dropped in, parachuted in to a whole new world and a culture totally different from the one that he knew. And though we may not be able to relate to Joseph in the extreme nature of his circumstance, we can absolutely relate to Joseph's base, natural fears of being in a new place and feeling alone. We feel it at a new job. We feel it at a new school. We feel it when we move to a new city or town or state. We feel it when we begin a new relationship. We feel it when a relationship ends. We feel it when the circumstances around us change and we are put in situations where we are uncomfortable, where we are uncertain, where we feel ignorant, not because we are dumb, but because we haven't learned about these new circumstances yet. Uncertainty and being uncomfortable and feeling alone are all natural, natural, holy cow, responses 
to a changing of circumstances. It is my prayer for us that as we work through this portion of the story of Joseph this morning, that we would be encouraged. That we would be encouraged by how God did not abandon Joseph, but was truly with Joseph. And it doesn't take long to get to that point, right? We see it right off the bat in the story that that Joseph was purchased by Potiphar, the captain of the guard, one of the high-ranking officials in Pharaoh's court. Now, there are a ton of people who could have purchased Joseph, right? Dude could have been sold to some farmer and worked in the fields. He could have been sold to a baker and been tending ovens. But no, he was purchased by one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. And then in verse 2, we have a line that we see throughout our text this morning. The Lord was with Joseph. God was with him. Everything he touched turned to gold. Every venture he was in charge of prospered. And Potiphar wasn't an idiot. He saw this. He saw that Joseph could do nothing but excel, and so he promoted him. He put Joseph in charge of his house, and then he put Joseph in charge of all that he owned. The ranking of authority in the house of Potiphar went Potiphar, Joseph. Our text this morning tells us that the only thing that Potiphar had to worry about was what he was going to eat. Do I feel like toast this morning or cereal? This is the toughest decision that Potiphar has to make all day. God was with Joseph, and God being with Joseph, blessing him, using him, was not only apparent to Joseph, but it was apparent to everyone. It was apparent to those who didn't even know who God was, for the idol-worshipping captain of the guard could see it plainly. It's pretty awesome to see the Lord at work in a person. It's really fun to see the change that they undergo as the Lord shapes them and molds them into who he wants them to be, who he is desiring them to be. And I I thought about that as I was contemplating Joseph's transformation this week. I was marveling at how this spoiled brat became the dutiful servant. That's not a transition that we typically think of as being made easily. It's a total 180. Yeah, I suppose one could argue that the long, hot, miserable walk in the sun from Dothan to Egypt tied to a cart had something to do with this transformation. But in my experience, when I'm being a brat and something bad happens to me, I don't just suddenly become the picture-perfect father, spouse, son, sibling, co-worker, or friend in my sinfulness. I tend to double down or throw blame somewhere else, or launch into a pity party. No, Joseph's transformation didn't have anything to do with the long walk under a hot sun. It had everything to do with the fact that God was with Joseph. God was working on Joseph. He was shaping Joseph. He had huge plans for Joseph, plans that the boy knew nothing about. Joseph changed on that journey from Dothan to Egypt, but it wasn't the sun in the sky that did the changing. It was God molding and shaping Joseph's heart. The effect that God being with Joseph had on his life is even more apparent in the next portion of the story. For Joseph had caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. Our text tells us that Joseph was exceptionally good-looking. The exact wording in our passage is well-built and handsome. Another way of saying that would be handsome in form and appearance. But however you want to translate it, when the Hebrew puts two similar words together like that, it's not to add to the description, it is to emphasize the fact. And there are only two people that have this double adjective emphasizing their incredibly good looks in the Bible. 
Joseph and his mother Rachel. And Potiphar's wife is impressed. And so she approaches Joseph looking to have an affair with him. Now this would not have been out of ordinary enslaving households in Egypt. In ancient Egypt, this, this would have been incredibly normal. Potiphar isn't around, right? Dude doesn't have to worry about his house in the hands of Joseph, the boy with the golden touch. So he's off playing golf or hanging with Pharaoh or fishing or watching guys play whatever sport it is they played in ancient Egypt. I don't know what Potiphar's doing, but he wasn't home. And so his wife approached their incredibly good-looking and successful slave in order to start a relationship. No one had to know. If the other slaves found out, none of them would dare rat out the master's wife. And again, this was a pretty common practice. It would have been easy. It would have been a simple thing to give in. And Joseph's young. He's in his prime. He's not even 20 years old yet. His body is totally ready for whatever Potiphar's wife is suggesting. And yet, how does Joseph respond to her advances? We pick up in verse 8 of our text this morning. But he refused. With me in charge, she told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? What a response. Joseph recognizes that it would not only be a sin against Potiphar, but it would be a sin against God. And though his body is begging him to throw those concerns aside, though there is a deep part of him that wants to give in to his master's wife, he stands firm in his decision. But she's not very good at taking no for an answer. Are our temptations ever good at taking no for an answer? She hounds him. Day after day, she's after Joseph, and then one day, when no one else is around, she catches him by his cloak and pulls him close and makes her plea once more. And this must have been a tough one for Joseph. Our text tells us that he runs from her, and not just from the room, but out of the house. And his departure is so hasty, so violent, and her grip on him so strong that his cloak is left in her hands. This is the last straw for Potiphar's wife. She can take the rejection no more, and so she twists the story first to the slaves in the house and then to her husband, telling of how the Hebrew that he brought into the house attacked her, how he was trying to force himself on her. But she screamed, and he got scared, and he left in a hurry, leaving behind his cloak, and then she presents the cloak to her husband as proof. This is a hard part of the text for me to work through. It's a hard part of the text for me to preach. It would be easy for me to relate this story to you and say, now go, and when temptation arises, fight it off. Be like Joseph, resist, don't do it, run from it. And those are good things. That's exactly how we're supposed to respond to temptation. That's how God wants us, calls us to respond. He doesn't want us to give in. We see the Apostle Paul proclaim these sentiments continually, encouraging Christians to flee from temptation throughout his letters to the churches. This is how we're supposed to respond. It's the model response. And yet, how often is this our response? How often, or how are you doing fleeing from every temptation? How are you doing with not giving in? 
when you know that no one else will find out when the sin is even socially acceptable? How often are you, Joseph, and able to perfectly resist and flee your daily temptations? I'm not Joseph. There are many days that I experience victory in resisting the temptations that plague me. But there are also days that I experience failure in my resistance. And if we go back to the reality that God was with Joseph and say that this is why he was able to perfectly resist Potiphar's wife, then we're putting ourselves in danger of wondering when we fail to resist temptation if it's because God is no longer with us, if he has abandoned us. And so when being Joseph becomes what we draw from this text, we are left with either the unattainable requirement of perfectly resisting temptation or wondering if God has abandoned us when we fall short of that requirement. How should we approach this dilemma? Why did God make this a part of Joseph's story and what are we to learn from it? There are times in scripture when God uses the heroes of the Old Testament as Christ figures. Though they are sinful men, they reflect the promised Jesus. And we're good at trying to put ourselves into their shoes when those shoes are truly many sizes too large. We see this with the story of David and Goliath. How many times have we heard about how we are David toppling Goliath? Choose the stones for your sling wisely so that you might defeat the Goliaths of sin in your life, we're told. The truth is that we are not David in that story. We are the Israelites cowering in fear of Goliath in our tents. David is a Jesus figure in that story. In the same way that the Israelites were helpless against Goliath, and it was David who came and saved them, so we are helpless against the sin in our life, and it is Jesus who comes and saves us. In the same way, Joseph's perfectly resisting the temptation of Potiphar's wife is a foretelling of Jesus perfectly resisting the temptation of sin that was presented him during his time here on earth. If Joseph had given in, it would have spoiled God's plan to use him to save all of Egypt and the surrounding areas, including Joseph's own family. And if Jesus had given in to the temptation that Satan had put before him, it would have spoiled God's plans to reconcile the world to himself, past, present, and future. We are not Joseph in this story. We are the slaves in the house. We are the Egyptians in the field. We are the brothers far away. We are the ones being saved. And what's more is that Joseph isn't even truly the central figure of this story. To find the central figure of the story, we have to go back to verse 2 once more. The Lord was with Joseph, we read at the beginning of that verse. And then we move to verse 3 where we have the statement, His master saw that the Lord was with him. Kent Hughes in his commentary on Genesis writes, Joseph's success story is preceded by two parallel declarations that the Lord was with him. So we understand that the theological centerpiece of the story is God, who was present and working on Joseph's behalf. This is actually God's story. All of this, the Lord, Yahweh, was with him language, points us towards understanding that at the most uncertain time in Joseph's life, when he felt abandoned, when he felt awkward and uncomfortable, when he felt alone, when he could see nothing of God, the covenant God of Israel was at work to effect his covenant promises through Joseph. God was keeping his promises to his people through a lonely, uncomfortable, and uncertain young man. 
And now Joseph, or how Joseph was feeling in that moment, isn't a driving factor in the story. Because ultimately, this is God's story. For again, God was with Joseph. And man, what a comfort there is for us in that reality. Because the same is true for us. It does not matter how uncomfortable and uncertain you may feel, God can still use you. Though you feel lonely and you're not an influencer, you don't feel like your opinion matters, none of that is truly part of your story because the story of salvation, the story of God keeping his promises to his people is God's story. And he is with us just as he was with Joseph. The prophet Isaiah spoke boldly before King Ahaz, saying, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah was prophesying of the coming Christ. He was prophesying of Jesus. Jesus, the one who came and lived among us. The one who carried a cross up the hill to Calvary. Jesus, who took the sins of the world Who took all the times that we didn't, that we haven't run from the temptations set before us. Who took all of that and allowed it to hold him to the cross. And there he became sin in our place. And there he died. He died so that the price that we could not pay would be paid. So that the debt of the sin that we had before God would be cleared. But Jesus did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and in his rising, he conquered sin and death. And through this work, Jesus reconciled us to God. For when we believe in this work, when we believe that we need it, and that Christ did it, when we rest in the faith that we have been given, we are saved. For through this faith, we have been reconciled to God. For through this faith, Christ has taken the filthy rags of our sin, and he has given us his own blessed righteousness. Christ is for us. And he is with us. Emmanuel. Does God want us to run like Joseph ran? Does God want us to resist temptation like Joseph did? Of course he does. Absolutely he does. So let us run. Let us flee what the devil puts before us and what our filthy hearts crave. Let us, through the strength that God gives us, deny the temptations that are presented to us. But when the time comes that we trip and fall, when the time comes that we intentionally ignore what we know God wants us to do and jump willingly into the sin that he has called us to run from, let us remember that God does not stop being with us when we sin. Our failings do not erase his love for us and they do not remove his promises to us. Our God is a just God, but he is also a God of mercy and grace. Repent, confess, and know that our God forgives. From our perspective, things didn't really go well for Joseph, even though he was faithful to God and to his master. But they didn't go as poorly as they could have. Typically, if a slave forced themselves on the lady of the house, the slave would end up missing their head. It's likely that Potiphar didn't believe his wife, but also couldn't favor his slave over her. So Joseph kept his head, but lost his freedom. He was put in prison. But even there, with shackles around his wrists and his neck, God was with him. God caused the prison warden to look on him with favor and to put him in charge of all that were in the prison. 
That doesn't mean that this stage of life was easy or fun or happy, but it does mean that God was continuing to use Joseph, that he never left Joseph, and that he had great plans for Joseph. It'll be four years in August since my family and I moved here to Bergenfield. Though it has been hard to be so far away from grandparents and siblings and cousins, though the culture has taken some time to adjust to, though we have made our fair share of mistakes in adjusting to our new surroundings, and yes, even in leading the church, God has been with us. He has surrounded us with people, with a church that love us, support us, And forgive us. He has comforted us in times of sorrow. He has brought us friends and family in our loneliness. And he has encouraged and grown our church. To this point, a lot of our growth here at Calvary has been people moving into our area and the Lord putting it on their heart to worship with us. And I am incredibly thankful for that. And I know that we're Lutheran and we proudly baptize babies, and I love doing that. But church, God longs to save our adult neighbors as well. He longs to use us like he used Joseph in his mission to bring about his kingdom. He used Joseph to save Egypt and the beginnings of the nation of Israel. Whom will he use you to save? Who is God putting on your heart? Who is it that you know needs to hear the good news of Christ? Do you feel qualified? Do you feel uncomfortable and uncertain? Do not fear. God is with us. Through hard times, through the good times, our God is with us. And he will use even us, the broken and the sinful, to proclaim his message of grace, love, and forgiveness. What a fantastic, loving, and merciful God we serve.